we are looking at 5G because we do see opportunities for improved safety, uh, reducing traffic congestion, and delivering rich media experiences in the vehicle, not just for the driver, but for the passengers. So those experiences should just flow naturally and should be enabled. And 5G is going to be a great opportunity to do that in a much more meaningful way. Welcome to The Restless Ones, where we speak with the leaders who push the envelope when it comes to technological innovations and solutions. Leaders who don't follow standards, they set them. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. Our guest today is Zach Hicks of Toyota North America. He has worked in several capacities at Toyota, eventually occupying the role of CIO. As CIO, he received numerous awards and accolades, but he didn't stop there. Zach found himself tackling challenges and taking opportunities that don't fall neatly into the CIO bucket. Zach, thank you so much for joining us on The Restless Ones. It's a real pleasure to be able to sit down and have a conversation with you. Thanks, Jonathan. I appreciate the opportunity. Before we jump into your background, one thing I would love to do is just hear from you what your full official title is, because I think that just me saying it might take up an entire episode. <laughs> it sounds like a lot, but they're all very closely related. You know, so in, in North America, I'm the chief digital officer. I'm responsible for digital transformation and mobility. In those functions, I have traditional IT, corporate IT, for sales and manufacturing and all of the functions within Toyota in North America. I'm also responsible for our connected technologies, which is our in-vehicle, the hardware and software and the multimedia units in the vehicle. Um, I also have a mobility group, and that's kind of how we look at mobility in the future, uh, ride share, car share, and, and new ways of operating. And then almost five years ago, we launched a big data AI ML company called Toyota Connected. And for that, I'm the CEO so I, I spend uh, a lot of time bouncing back and forth between uh, the two roles, but they're very interrelated. So it's not like two managing two completely separate jobs. There's a lot of overlap there. And I do have a role within our parent company in Japan. It's a Japanese title of Kambushoku, which just means management, executive management over mobility. I love your humility and modesty because <laughs> from my perspective, I look at it and I think, about other challenges that I'm sure we'll we'll dive into in this episode, things that aren't barriers necessarily, but just considerations. The fact that you have a large data company that operates perhaps more like what we would think of as a Silicon Valley startup in some ways, and also a role with a company that has a more traditional approach to corporate culture. And those sort of, of uh, potential disagreements of culture to me are really fascinating and how you navigate it. I think you're, you're right. I think anybody working in technology has the natural kind of challenge of technology is changing so rapidly. Business has a desire to change, but they don't always move at the same pace. And working for a company that is rooted in, in consensus-driven management but if we go at the pace of, of getting everybody to agree, there's natural tension in the system. And, and that was really, you're exactly right, why we created Toyota Connected as a separate company. So we could go fast. So we could be a digitally native company and not have the approvals and the typical management structure that you would in, in a multinational company. Well, let's learn a bit more about you, Zach. I, I'm curious because I know that your journey toward the 
digital and information side of things wasn't necessarily a, a straight path. How did you first get interested in technology? I was working at United Airlines and I started off in reservations and, and uh, this was a long time ago, but it was the first time I had access to a computer. And it was, to me, was fascinating that I could look up flights from anywhere, find out what the cost was um, and find different ways to find different pricing. Back in the day, if you worked in a corporation, you wanted to travel somewhere, you'd file, you'd complete a paper form uh, to say, I have to go to Chicago for this business trip. Your boss would sign it. The travel department would put the price on it. And then by the time you got that approved, the price would change and you'd start that process all over again. It really wasn't the technology, but it was what it enabled. Um, and soon after that was when the airlines were launching uh, online booking tools. And I was responsible for uh, selling and supporting those with big uh, companies like Toyota. And, and now it was this putting the information in the hands of everybody. It was a liberation of travel information. And uh, that was exciting. And so that was when I first came to Toyota and how I came to Toyota because I was uh, supporting their travel department and I had a chance to interact with them. And you said something there that really struck a chord with me, the idea of loving what technology enables us to do as opposed to loving a specific technology. If you love the things that the technology allows us to do, then that, I think, allows you to be a little more flexible in adapting to new technologies that continue to fulfill that mission. Is that Does that sort of sound like your philosophy? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. In the early days in IT, we used to have titles that were product-specific. So I'm, a, I'm an IBM tape engineer, or in today's world, you may see it as an SAP engineer or, or data specialist. But I, I really like to become product agnostic in, in all of our roles because technology changes so quickly. And, and what may be the right tool today is probably not going to be the right tool tomorrow. Well, you joined Toyota in the mid-1990s. What was your first role with the company? I started off in, in the travel department and fast forward became the CEO of, of, a, of a data company for Toyota. Uh, I, I was hired to automate the travel processes um, and to, to deal with exactly what I just described earlier in, the, in that paper process. And it was a great experience. I also learned how to negotiate. You know, I think in every role you get to learn so much. And so I had learned how Toyota operates. I learned uh, the different organizational structure. And I had began to create some relationships. And at Toyota relationships, I think at any company really, relationships are everything. It's how you navigate. And, and so that created an opportunity for me to step in to a role. Because soon after that, we had launched our e-business group. And I was able to be one of the founding members of our early days of the dot-com space. And that was when we thought, you know, everybody that was in, in the new dot-com space, we were the digital natives and we were click and order and you guys are old school and brick and mortar. And, uh, you know, the world finally changed and, and caught up to that. But we, it didn't go as fast as we thought it was going to happen at that time. But it is fascinating because you, you came on board at really a transformational time, particularly for the automotive industry. A lot of people my age think back to when cars were almost a purely mechanical system with some other automated features starting to work their way in. And today we think of them as they, they are compute platforms themselves. We have moved to a point where cars are some of the most sophisticated technologies that we access on a daily basis. I grew up watching Knight Rider, thinking that that was going to be the promise, that I'd be able to hop in my car and it was going to know everything I wanted and, and it was going to be this great experience. I was in grade school and I remember an engineer from Ford came in and talked to us and said, 
and I was probably in, in third or fourth grade, and they said, by the time you are dri- you know, driving age, you're going to be in flying cars. And I believe that. And I realized when I was about 14 or 15, this is not going to happen. But it's still the promise. Well, I'm curious, in your career at Toyota, are there any projects that stand out as defining moments that either shaped your philosophy or reinforced something that you had made as part of your philosophy? The first big learning that I had was um, I had been in the e-business group and then there was our big, our biggest project within Toyota on the technical side, which was automating all of our uh, dealer operations. So building a new retail system. Uh, the project had was was failing. Uh, the CIO uh, asked me to take it over. I hadn't had a, a formal role in corporate IT, so it was it was a it was a big leap. They put a lot of trust in me. I probably wasn't qualified to take it at that time. There was thirteen hundred contractors working on it, a uh, couple hundred uh, Toyota employees. It was it was overwhelming, and and the only way I could get my arms around it was I had just finished my undergraduate degree because I was going to school at night. And so I approached it from a business lens of, of trying to put controls around the cost. And that helped to kind of bring it back. And I also created a, a strong team that I could trust. So, you know, a year and a half or almost two years later, when I landed the project, I was very proud of myself. The CIO calls me in her office and I'm waiting for a pat on the back. And, and she said, you know, you really turned it around. You did a great job, but let's see if you can do that again without leaving so many bodies on the side of the road. And I was completely uh, caught off guard. I was very unaware. I was so focused on getting the project back on track and doing whatever it took to be successful that I, I probably wasn't the nicest person to be around if you weren't performing. And I had to learn how to be a better manager and, and be a better person and get the same result. And I'm grateful for that kind of slap that she gave me, but I, I needed that awareness. I think the other thing that was a pivotal turning point for me was when I first became the CIO of our sales and marketing company. And about a, a few months into the role was when Toyota faced its biggest uh, crisis in our history. We went through our recall crisis where we had to recall almost every vehicle that, that we had produced. And all of our systems were becoming overloaded. For example, our call center went from about 6,000 phone calls a day to over 100,000 phone calls a day. We were getting DNS errors because so many people were hitting our web pages. And then all of our systems around driving our business began to break. So we had a big a mainframe system and we had so many warranty claims that it was still processing. It was taking 30 hours to process the warranty claims. And so when the financial systems would come up in the morning, all of our systems were becoming disconnected and out of whack. And so during that time, not knowing what to do and being a new CIO, we had set up early morning meetings and meetings throughout the day and before we went home late at night. And and what we just said was, whatever our employees need, let's give them the money, the resources, but let's let's do what they need to do to take care of our customers. And something amazing came out of that was the guy that was working in the mainframe, he took that batch job from over 30 hours to down to three and a half hours. It was never three and a half hours, even in good times. And I just had that kind of clarity of moment to think, like, why did it take for us to be in this crisis for him to do what he knew to do. He has been waiting for somebody to ask him this instead of just doing it on his own. And so I thought it was my job and our job as leaders is I I thought if I still have a job at the end of this crisis, it's going to be my life's work is to unleash the latent talent that exists within our organization. And that changed the course of my career because I then at the end of that uh, period began doing things like hackathons. And, and at the time, it was kind of like a science fair where we, we were really pushing the innovation. And we changed the trajectory of, of corporate IT because people within the IT department really knew what to do. We shouldn't be looking to contractors or other people to tell us the answer. 
it was really a finding a way to unleash that talent that exists in the organization. Very true. I just want to know if we can get sort of a sense of the scope of your role. If someone were to ask you, what's the size of your team, how do you answer that question? It varies based on where we're at and the product cycles on what we're working on. Roughly, I have about 1,000 plus direct employees, but we scale up to over 8,000 generally uh, with uh, partners and uh, outsourced relationships. And, and uh, in the automotive space, there's lots of uh, partners in the, in the Toyota ecosystem that we, we work with. For example, like in a connected car, you may have a telephone carrier as a partner. You've got other automotive-grade companies that are maybe building the hardware or helping with the software. So these teams can get quite large during the, the build period. But um, like most projects, there's a cycle to them that you can kind of plan around. On, on what your resource needs look like. Do you have an estimate about how many projects your teams are working on at any given time? I'm imagining it's going to be a very high number. Yeah, it's in, it's in the hundreds. Fortunately, we've got, we got great team members, but as you can imagine, we've got you know, 17 manufacturing facilities. We've got lots of sales offices around the U.S. Um, and then plus on my AI ML big data company, uh, we're doing lots of uh, products, but those may be software related. So you can have much smaller teams working on those. Uh, to our next generation of in-vehicle hardware and software, and those teams can get very, very large. But there is an evolutionary period to that. So we are getting ready to launch our next generation of multimedia screens this year, and then we're already starting on the next generation, which will come out a couple of years later. If there's one thing most businesses can agree on these days, it's that change has never come about so quickly. New ways of working have become the norm. As a result, the status quo no longer cuts it when it comes to helping businesses adapt and innovate. That's why T-Mobile for Business uses unconventional thinking to help businesses work smarter and grow faster. Only T-Mobile offers America's largest and fastest 5G network. It's just one reason they're better able to help businesses solve the real-world challenges they face as they evolve. For instance, their new WFX solutions help team members stay connected and productive where work happens. With nearly two and a half times the network coverage of AT&T, nearly four times more than Verizon, and $40 billion invested in network and business improvements over the next three years, T-Mobile for Business is better for your business right now and into the future. See what they can do for your organization at tmobile.com slash unconventional. Open Signal awarded T-Mobile fastest 5G network based on average speeds. USA 5G user experience report January 2021. Capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some users may require certain plan or features. See tmobile.com. Having a better insight into who Zach is and his journey within Toyota, I decided to drill down further into his particular approach to leadership. What are some of the unique challenges that you encounter at Toyota, things that are very specific to your role? I think a lot of them are probably similar to what other people face in any type of transformational activity. It's usually technology's not the hardest part. It's the aligning the business and trying to triangulate as consumer behaviors are changing in this direction and technology is moving in this direction. How do we move in that same direction and get ahead of where they are today? What may be a little bit more unique to working at, at Toyota um, is we are a, a large global company. I probably spend at least one week of every month in Japan. 
sometimes more. And so the travel can be a lot, but those face-to-face interactions are really meaningful. And these global teams are very important. Right. Preserving the integrity of those relationships so that uh, they have the meaning that you want from them and not just feel like it's a, a checklist off an email or something along those lines. So communication is is clearly an important skill for any leader in any industry. It's something that when I speak to a lot of CIOs, that tends to be one of the biggest skill sets that they really point to, that you have to be able to communicate to very different business groups, perhaps to different customers, and get buy-in on uh, ideas that and you have to contextualize it and frame it in a way that makes sense to that particular group. Would you say that communication is is one of the the top skills for someone who's doing your role? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you framed it up right on. For me, I think it was what allowed me to progress in my career is be able to have these relationships. When I first started off in IT, there was this feeling that, well, the business knows what they want. They'll give you that prioritization. And, and I felt like IT was waiting for this leather-bound strategy to be dropped off on their desk. And it wasn't about that. It was about getting out of your office, going with the business to the location where the customer exists and hear the voice of the customer and see the, the, the pain points of your business leaders. And then you can bring forward and say, hey, there's these emerging technologies that may be able to solve this problem. Um, or if you're having a problem of moving these parts faster, maybe we could put sensors on them. And here's some, some ways that we can do that. But to include them in that process to ideate. Uh, the business does know where they want to go. They do have a strategy, but they're not going to take the time to write it all down and then sit down with you and then tell you, you know, if, if they do that problem, it's already too late. It should have been solved before. And so I think in, in today's world, to be able to engage with the business and speaking in their terms and not overlay it with a bunch of technical jargon, it's about where we started this conversation is what it can enable and envisioning that. And then going back and rallying your team to, to begin that process. But it is that communication and that intersection between IT and business where the magic happens. And that's where CIOs have to live. I certainly have heard from people who work in various IT uh, jobs that uh, a pain point typically ends up being, yeah, but why are we doing this? Like, I know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know why I am doing it. But as you point out, when you go back to that, use case where you're saying, let's look at what we're trying to enable. When that becomes apparent and everyone understands that, it clears away a lot of the problems that you would typically see otherwise. What is it that really excites you about your work? What are the things that get you up out of bed when you're about to jump on another flight over to Japan or you're about to head to Europe or you're just going into one of your offices (laughs) over at Toyota? (laughs) When, when we created Toyota Connected, we talked about what should our goals be. And it wasn't just about ingesting the data. Anybody can do that. And we knew we wanted to use the data for uh, customers to make their lives better. And we, we set a lofty goal of saying Toyota Connected should be making the world better. And it, it sounded a, a little bit cheesy or, or maybe overreaching, but we've done these hackathons and we've challenged our team members of how can we use data to make customers' lives better? And I'm blown away. You know, I can give you some examples where uh, we've come up with this concept and we're, we're testing it out right now is in, in an Amber Alert, we can pop up a message on, on the person's screen in their car and say, can we use your outward facing camera to look for this license plate? And if you opt in, then you've got an army of cars that are looking to help, you know, find a lost child. 
we can use that same technology if there's, let's say, a, a wildfire like in California, as there was last year. And maybe we know that, you know, that there's Toyotas in that area that we can light up those cameras to let the firefighters know exactly where the fire is occurring. To we're doing some testing right now with some nanotechnology to be able to detect if there's a life form left in a vehicle. So if a baby's been forgotten in the car, even if they've fallen asleep, can we pick up their heartbeat? So I really believe that technology or the data isn't about selling more ads. It's about making the world a better place. And, and my team is doing that. As someone who covers technology for a living, I find that extremely refreshing, the idea of using technology to enable things that have uh, a positive impact. It's a subtle way of presenting the information where in one instance, it is not intrusive and it's helpful. Yes. And in the other yeah. instance, it's obnoxious. I also think too, the other thing is it, it can be, if not used the right way, it can be creepy. Mm -hmm. So I, I, we talk a lot about not being creepy, but being delightful and, and inspiring our, our customers. And so a good example I, I can use is um, if a customer wants to share with us their likes, and I know that somebody, a customer likes, say, Taylor Swift, and they're heading down a road that they've not traveled before, but I know it's in the general direction of where Taylor Swift is performing. We can say, hey, it looks like you're he heading to the Taylor Swift concert. That could just be creepy. But where it could be delightful is where I can say, can I route you around traffic and prepay your parking? That becomes delightful. And so, and if the customer has clear control of his or her data and opting into these services, then it's, it's more meaningful. The automotive industry has been a key component in the technological sector for more than a century. You really get the full spectrum of tech, from manufacturing processes, to supply chain management, to data analysis, to implementing new technological features into consumer products. I wanted to learn more about what Zach is interested in, and maybe even get a sneak peek into where the automotive industry is headed next. So today, our or connected vehicles share data. And, and at, a, at a basic level, if a customer is in an accident and an airbag is deployed and they've opted in for these services, we can notify a 911 responder to know exactly where the accident occurred. And even as we're getting begin to get more data from the vehicles, we could let them know, well, there was three seatbelts buckled or the accident occurred at this velocity. Um, and maybe even as data gets and our algorithms get better, we can begin to estimate um, what other problems may have occurred, uh, and, and give that to the 911 responders. Um, to some of the services that you've, you've talked about, um, helping people and say, the next time I'm in this area and I want to try this, uh, this new bakery, have the car remind you that you're in that area that you, you know, maybe pick up some, some baked goods. Um, one of the things we recently got a patent on that we'll be releasing, which is more of a convenience service. So we can look at um, as somebody's entering a parking garage and we can tell by how fast they're accelerating up the hill and what the yaw rate and the turn rate looks like, our algorithms can now with maybe roughly around 87% accuracy, look, can tell somebody, it looks like you're on the third level of a parking garage on the northeast corner. So as you get out of your car, it'll pop up on your screen to remind you where you parked at in a parking garage. So from convenience services uh, to life-saving services, that's what connectivity uh, means to me. It, it's still, I would suggest, it's early days. Mm -hmm. um, all of the data coming on the car is not meaningful. It's too costly to, to manage and process all of that data. So I think in the future, you're going to see more of this processing happening on the edge, uh, happening in the vehicle, and the customers will dictate those services that they want and which ones they, they don't want. Yeah, I imagine we're looking at instances where machine learning and artificial intelligence and some data automation are going to play a big part in that. And in my view of the future, it becomes a thing where every single person's experience with their vehicle becomes 
more and more personalized to a point where if you were to step into someone else's car and drive it for a little while, you might just feel like, wow, this is a really different experience because it's no longer specifically catered to the way I drive and the places I go. Uh, but to me, that's that's really exciting. This release that we're going to have uh, this year on some of our new vehicles will solve that for you. So the next time you get into a Toyota or Lexus vehicle, your persona will travel with you. So if you your preset destinations on your head unit, your temperature controls, maybe even your seat settings. And you could even have that flow with you perhaps in the future when you get into an Uber or Lyft to make sure that we've got the right temperature controls and maybe even which music you want to hear. So just like your phone, which knows everything about you, if you want to share that with your vehicle, we can make sure that it goes from vehicle to vehicle with you and then disappears from a privacy and security point of view as you exit that vehicle. Zach, you're talking magic to me now. But then Arthur C. <laughs> Clarke said any technology sufficiently sophisticated seems like magic. So you know, that's connectivity that I think of as being very outward facing for consumers. I imagine that behind the scenes, internally, that connectivity plays an enormous role at Toyota from the corporate side to the manufacturing side. Absolutely. You know, on, on the manufacturing side, I think that's kind of the next huge opportunity, which which I think all manufacturing companies are experiencing and, and experimenting on. And so from a manufacturing perspective, our products and quality continue to get better and better and better because we have real-time information as anything's going wrong instead of waiting for it to come off the line and a customer experiencing a problem and then having to fix it. But we do have that feedback loop now. As our cars are getting serviced in the garage, all of that data goes into our uh, machine learning algorithms to understand is this a problem, is this a trend, and how can we fix that on the line so it doesn't happen again? Um, or let our suppliers know that they're, we're starting to see some failures in these areas. Um, to uh, how we design cars knowing that certain features may not be being used very much in the vehicle. So why spend the money if the customer doesn't care about it? Everything that we do is connected. And from a corporate IT perspective, your IT infrastructure is just a digital manifestation of how you do business. And that's a good lens and to look to how a company is operating. Well, and with this connectivity, I mean, obviously connectivity can't happen unless you have the the technologies that actually allow different pieces to communicate with one another. And with the rollout of 5G technologies, we're seeing some new potential applications, uh, whether we're talking about high frequency 5G, where you can have very high throughput, low latency, just to, to the other flavors as well. What sort of uh, ways are Toyota implementing or, or relying upon 5G technologies? So I, I can't give you specifics on some of these future products, but I can share with you that we are looking at 5G because we do see opportunities for improved safety, reducing traffic congestion, and delivering rich media experiences in the vehicle, not just for the driver, but for the passengers. So those experiences should just flow naturally and should be enabled. And 5G is going to be a great opportunity to, to do that in a much more meaningful way. But I also think that we're still going to always need edge computing for really fast decisions. So as you're looking at to more autonomy in our vehicles, you still don't want to be relying to go up to the cloud to make a decision. You want to be making decisions real time on that vehicle. So to that end, do you also see cars as playing a, an important role in things like smart city infrastructure, where there's perhaps the uh, the opportunity for vehicles on the road to interact with city infrastructure and to do things like reduce traffic congestion, things like that? Yeah, huge opportunities. I think, and that's one of the great promises of, of 5G is to allow cities to better manage that and help 
with the interplay between the, the driver and the infrastructure to have better throughput. One thing people may have not, not have not heard yet, but we're launching a prototype city in Japan called Woven City, uh, pretty close to Mount Fuji. And the whole concept there is that people will live there and researchers and different research groups will come in. And that's what we're trying out. You may be surprised to learn that in the city center that there won't be cars driving through or personally owned vehicles. And that may be shocking for, for Toyota to do, but we're trying to envision what that better future can look like. And it's that interplay between walking, public transportation, personally owned vehicles, shared vehicles. How will that work in a much more smooth environment? 5G will play a large part of that, but we all have to work together, private and, and public entities, to, to enable that future. And related to that, I mean, I've, I've heard that you have described Toyota as really a mobility company. And uh, that really caught my attention, too, because it speaks to something much larger than even automotive company. Can you go into a little more detail about what you mean when you say it's a mobility company? Yeah, and internally, when we, we talked about being a mobility company, I like to share that it, it could be helping somebody get across country or getting across their living room if they have limited mobility. It's not just a personally owned vehicle. And so we've got lots of prototypes and testing around the world where we're interacting with public transportation. So how does somebody take their personal vehicle, drive to maybe a train station, and from that train station, maybe to a bus, and then even after they get off the bus, how do we still get them to their destination where they want to go to? That's the opportunity. So we, we won't define mobility, our customers will. And we get right back to that philosophy of how do we leverage technology to enable the outcome that we desire? Do you have any particular uh, favorite emerging technologies, things that you're really excited about or curious about? I think video is on board. We're also looking at another use case where seniors that have dementia, if they're not found within 24 hours, there's high risk to their life. But could we even use outward-facing technology to help find that person on a, on a camera, but not risk other people's privacy? Or, you know, we, we did a, a test where our vehicles go through every intersection in Tokyo every 15 minutes. And so we help them look for litter and, and for things in the road that could be an obstacle and then feed that information. That could be used in, in our vehicles today for looking for ice or when we detect our anti-lock brakes starting to, or, you know, see some slipping on the roads happening. Could we feed that information to local authorities so they can come in and take care of the roads in that area? I think we can make life better if we use this technology in a way that still keeps people's privacy safe and secure, but allows us to have a better life. Before I could let Zach go, I needed to ask him one more thing. At the end of the day, what opportunity are you most excited to pursue? The opportunity to build faster services and products for our customers to make a better experience in a better world. That's a great answer. And and I cannot stress enough to my audience that that itself is, a, is an enormous challenge when you're looking at an industry like the car industry where you are marrying this very rapid uh, iteration of technology and potential implementations of it into uh, platforms that have incredible legacy behind them. And you have to honor both. Uh, that is an, an enormous challenge and uh, one that I find really fascinating. So, Zach, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Thanks again to Zach Hicks for taking time to speak with us on The Restless Ones. 
My big takeaways really come back to something Zach said early on, focusing on how technology enables us to do specific things without getting bogged down into specific instances of tech. That's what's really important. It's what frees up organizations to pursue a mission without turning tech into an anchor that slows things down. And involving the IT side of a business in a more integral and coherent approach really can have enormous benefits, removing communication barriers and making it easier to achieve buy-in. And of course, the evolving technologies that facilitate this kind of approach to business are absolutely critical. Without them, we'd have great ideas, but no way to execute them. Connectivity is crucial for Toyota, but I think it's safe to say its importance is evident across all industries. With solutions like 5G opening up new ways to achieve connectivity, we're headed toward a very exciting future. Make sure you join us for the next episode of The Restless Ones, as we continue to speak with the leaders who are bringing the future into the present. I'm Jonathan Strickland. These days, new ways of working have become the norm, and the status quo no longer cuts it when it comes to helping businesses evolve and grow. That's why T-Mobile for Business uses unconventional thinking to help businesses seize innovation. Only T-Mobile offers America's largest and fastest 5G network, which makes their new WFX solutions possible, letting businesses stay connected and productive where work happens. See what T-Mobile for Business can do for you at T-Mobile.com slash unconventional. Open Signal awarded T-Mobile fastest 5G network based on average speeds. USA 5G user experience report January 2021. Capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some users may require certain plan or features. See T-Mobile.com. 